You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Happy Wednesday night. We are finally... Playoff week is here after, um, you know, a a full regular season in the midst of COVID. Uh, Obviously, questions uh, persisting throughout the season if we'd ever reach this point. But we're there. Obviously, some teams are going through it right now. Cleveland Browns are uh, are a situation that comes to mind. But as things stand right now, we uh, we are looking all systems go for Saturday. For the Bills to open up the playoffs against the Indianapolis Colts. And we have a full packed show for you tonight to talk all things Bills and Colts. I know it's been a pretty awful day from all sides of this thing. Um, but, you know, we were talking about it. And, you know, I, I know we uh, we talked about it uh, on the show the other night, Ryan, that we were planning two shows for this week. But then we got into it. And we started going through the planning process is like, we don't have a lot of days here before Saturday. So we really didn't have the ability to reschedule. And I know it might just be something, a nice distraction from, you know, on a day like this, we've had so many awful days over the course of the last 10 months with, you know, everybody going through their hardships during the pandemic and, you know, all this other stuff that, you know, is depressing. So I know a lot of Bills fans are very excited about the potential of this game and this matchup. So we are going to dive into tonight. This is the Shop Buffalo Bills football podcast brought to you by Top Friendly Markets. He is Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. And let me welcome you into the show, Ryan. Uh, what, what are you thinking here? A couple days uh, before a really big day, big game. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just kind of sneaking up on us. It's already Wednesday night. Saturday afternoon is going to be here before we know it. I know the, the Bills Mafia is chomping at the bit. Uh, one thing I, I will say is uh, I loved seeing today, this morning, all the Bills fans in line for that COVID test, how excited they were to have a Q-tip stuck up their nose. Uh, that shows you the passion, and I know it wasn't the, the deep dive according to what everyone said, but the cars lining up starting at, I think it was 6 a.m., maybe 6.30 a.m., you see all these cars lined up on the news. So, you know, the, the Bills Mafia has been waiting for this day. Uh, genuinely hope that the team delivers for that fan base on Saturday. No reason to believe that they won't, but uh, this is a fan base that is absolutely fired up. 
Yes, and we have, like I mentioned, a really, really great show tonight. And we're going to kick things off uh, at 8 p.m. Our first guest, Sal Capaccio from WGR 550, will join us. Uh, then we'll have from the Indie Star, Joel A. Erickson, a beat reporter out there, covers the Colts. So we'll dive into the opponent's perspective a little bit. And then at 9 o'clock, everybody's favorite uncle, Uncle Jerry, Jerry Sullivan's going to come into, uh, into the show again, make his second appearance and I think about two months, I think that was his last appearance. And it got really great reviews. Uh, we'll look at this whole season and this whole thing from, you know, a 30,000-foot angle with him and, and talk a little bit about the historical significance of the season that the Bills just had because he's been covering this team for a very long time. And, I, you know, we had Vic Carucci on recently, and I feel like having, you know, so, some of the folks that have covered this team for a long time, having them chime in on this is a, is a really uh, a cool thing that we get to do. But I want to start off with something that really stood out to me earlier in this week, Ryan. Um, Deion Dawkins, left tackle for the Bills. Um, he he penned a column in Players Tribune. It was the second one that he's actually written this season. And both of them have been really good. I think it was Marcel who tweeted it out and said, Man, I, I do this, I do this for a living. And 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 Deion Dawkins, man, he he's got a real gift uh, for writing, and he does. I mean, if you read this from a Buffalo or a Bills fan's perspective, I mean it's it's pretty special. Like, you know, the you know, the kind of taking you behind the scenes a little bit into the dynamic of this Bills team. And there was a couple things that I really wanted to dive into a little bit. If you haven't read it yet, go check it out. It's on the Players' Tribune. And he talked about a couple things. And two things in particular were Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen. And what he did with, with Stephon Diggs was really kind of show you the whole process of how it all played out. So when the when they found out that they were getting Stefan Diggs and maybe some people saw the price tag and it was a little bit, uh, you know, high and and then you know kind of insinuating in in not so many terms like this guy better be worth it and so he was down in Florida he went to the workout when Stefan Diggs came down there and he said right from the jump it was wow, this dude is a player. This is a superstar. You could see it in the way that he was in the practice field in just those those three workout days. And, and me, myself, thinking back to it, like you could really see the the juice, the energy that just came out of that three-day weekend. We had Joe Kroom on the show, one of the early podcasts to talk about the whole experience down there. And he was talking about digs and the work ethic. And, the, and it, it brought me back to that moment and watching the videos and the pictures. But one thing in, in specific that he said, uh, Dion, in the, in the column, he said, Stefan Diggs has redefined what good football means for our squad and basically said, Listen, we didn't really know what a superstar was until he got there. And Ryan, everything that Stefan Diggs has done and everything that he's been for this team since he's gotten here has been superstar quality. Yeah, he's elevated the play of the players around him, not just based on his play on the field, but the little things that he does. And it mentioned him working with Gabriel Davis to doing, you know, working on route running, working on, on the, you know, catching the ball, just little things like that, little nuances that can help Gabriel Davis. And, and, we won't know how much that has helped Gabriel Davis as a rookie, but he doesn't, he hasn't played like a rookie since week one, uh, second in the team and touchdowns had a great year. So Stefan Diggs is elevating by helping, but he's also elevating just by how he has played his work ethic, the way that he practices every day. And it's interesting that it did go back to those workouts, uh, in Florida, because when, when Stefan Diggs had that big ESPN story, he talked about how those workouts in Florida really helped him because it was John Brown that said, hey, why don't you lead us? Why don't you take the lead on these reps? And that was all it took for that relationship to start growing between uh, him trusting the other players on this team and, and building that bond. So you're right, Florida, 
Uh, it seems like those three days played a significant impact or, or made a significant impact on this team. Uh, and, you know, he didn't say it in the article, but, uh, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. How much do you think when, when Deion Dawkins said, you know, it, it, we, we heard diva, we heard all this other stuff. And if he's going to be a diva, he's going to be a diva by himself because we already have this team here. In a way, I'm wondering if that goes back to the previous year where the Bills attempted to trade for Antonio Brown, and they probably heard a lot of the same whispers, and they they heard a lot of that, and then they saw how Brown handled it and how he spiraled after that as well. And I wonder if some of the players thought, oh, boy, we could be in for a part two here based on things that they had heard. Yeah, and I think that you go back to last season and the trend that we were seeing and the kind of momentum that this offense had built with the additions that they made on the offensive line, Brown and Beasley, Josh Allen taking a step. And it's like, you do want to add great players, but you also don't want to stunt any of that growth and and that pr- progress that you made. So I think, you know, that's a great point. I think that, you know, Diggs, I, I see a couple comments here and, you know, asking about the status of, you know, the wide receivers. And obviously the injury report came out today. Diggs didn't practice. We're going to get into that with Sal a little bit in a little while. You got a couple fans in here, Ryan. Sir Nathan <laughs> Thomas wants a shout out. So why don't you give him a shout out? Um, Cause you know, he's here to see the Ryan Talbot show and I, and I don't blame him. So why don't you give him some more? All right, Sir Nathan, thanks for joining the show tonight. There's your shout out. I uh, appreciate the support. Below zero, Ryan Talbot for governor, and I I couldn't agree more. I'd like to see it. I'd like to see you get a little political. <laughs> like you have a real political way about yourself. A real, uh, you know, a, you bring people together. I feel like. Uh, well, I appreciate that, but I don't think that's ever in the cards for me personally. But you know, appreciate the sentiment nonetheless. All right. So second part of this thing, there's two more parts that I want to get to of this Deion Dawkins column, and the second one is I want to pat myself on the back a little bit because you know. Dion kind of stole my mojo a little bit with this analogy because I used it on Nate Geary's show a couple weeks ago uh, when when talking about Josh Allen. And but I want to commend Dion at the same time because any Matrix analogy that anybody ever uses or reference deserves all the credit in the world. And my wife's watching the show right now; she's rolling her eyes because she hates when I put the movie on. She hates when I talk about it. But here's the quote he said uh, about Josh Allen: He made his case for Josh Allen for MVP. And he says, uh, "You're you're seeing it all snap into place." You're, you're seeing Josh enter the matrix and suddenly he's dodging them bullets. And if you haven't seen the matrix, like, first of all, come on, like, don't be Nate Gary, never be Nate Gary when it comes to, you know, film, because I, I lost all respect for him when he told me he's never seen the matrix, but that's like a classic scene when, you know, Neo goes through all of this training, you know, once he, you know, he gets woken up from, uh, you know, the, the matrix and, and, and woken up into the real world, he starts learning all of these things. So when he goes back inside the matrix, he can, you know, he knows Kung Fu and karate and jujitsu. And, um, but part of it is like learning how to bend, you know, space and time in there. And one of the big scenes is when he kind of like, you know, he gets all a million bullets shot at him from all of the, uh, uh, the agents there. And he just puts his hands up and stops them. Or no, the, the first scene that Dion is referring to is when he's like going back and doing the whole dodging thing. Okay, it's a great movie. You got to go watch it if you haven't seen it. You've seen it, right, Ryan? I've seen the first one. Yeah, okay. I, I enjoyed it. I've not yeah. seen the sequels. Uh, I, I won't judge you too hard for that, but please go watch it. Because <laughs> 4 is coming out this, this year straight to HBO Max. But it's a great analogy because what's going on with Josh Allen over the course of the last three years is – just like that. It's almost like Brian Dable and, you know, Ken Dorsey brought in in year two and everything that Jordan Palmer has done and the, the, the player driven leadership alongside and support alongside Josh Allen, they've just been adding 
to his toolbox and to his knowledge base. And every year, play by play, week by week, he's adding different parts of his game. And you're seeing, and we're going to talk about a lot of different things in on this podcast and Josh Allen related. But I think the one of the final hurdles was what it was going to be like. He, he's assassinated man coverage this year. But one of the big questions is, you know, what's he going to do when teams play zone? And you've seen, you go back to the San Francisco game, a little bit of the Denver game, New England. He's figuring out ways to beat you even when you go into defensive mode that he struggled with in the past. And I think that's all part of the progress that he's made. Yeah, and, and I, again, I liked what Dean Dawkins said in that article about how it's all about the evolution of Josh Allen. He's been figuring things out. Okay, I can hurdle over guys. Okay, I can run with the ball with great success. I can squeeze uh, passes into windows, uh, tight windows. And, and now it's all coming together. And like you said, it's like the scene from the Matrix. He's all he's figuring it all out now. And then you know, kudos to Josh because in the off season he puts in all that work with Palmer. Uh, who again, someone in the comments said, "Did you see the interview on One Bills Live?" Yes, with Palmer saying there is no, you know, he doesn't think there's a ceiling for Josh Allen. And there may not be one because Allen keeps evolving his game. He's worked on his mechanics year in, year out. Uh, he, he's finding guys. He, he's elevating, you know, he, he, just the, even the air that he's putting on different passes now. You can see how that's evolved from year one to year three. Uh, he, he's figuring it out little by little. And, and that's a scary thought for these opposing defenses, opposing defensive coordinators, uh, and just teams in general, because if he keeps evolving at this rate, it's going to be hard for any team to keep up with this Bills offense for the foreseeable future. Indeed. Um, the last part of it I wanted to bring up um, was, you know, I think for guys that have been here for a while, like you think of like Jerry Hughes and, um, you know, Deion Dawkins now is one of those elder statesmen that has been in the organization in the city for a long time. The connection they feel with the fans, I think, is one of the things that I always talk about when, you know, what makes it so special coming back here and covering the team for the fan base is that there is that connection for me, obviously I grew up here and, you know, uh, we, we've developed a really nice relationship with, you know, the fans and, um, all of the different people that, you know, support our content, but a line that he said was, uh, in the, in the piece that I thought was really good. Um, he said, cause he was referring to the, the great season that they've had in, in the pan during the pandemic. And he said, I feel like maybe we've helped inject a small amount of joy into this terrible year. I feel like, man, I feel like Buffalo maybe even carries itself a little different when we're winning. Like it just holds its head up a little higher or something. Like we thrive together, he said. And that to me is the most perfect way to describe the relationship between the team and the city that I don't think, I think it goes like everybody knows about Bill's mafia and the, and the, and the shenanigans and the, the fun social media viral clips and all that kind of stuff. But at the heart of it all, and, and it goes to like, you know, the airport scene the other night, like in the middle of a pandemic, you know, thousands of people show up at the, at the airport to, to show the team that, you know, what they did means for them. That doesn't happen in like big cities and in, in big markets. Like everybody always talks about like, you know, where do players want to go to play? Well, if you're a player and you're you're reading this thing by Deion Dawkins, man, I I don't know how you don't want to go play in Buffalo. And oh, by the way, we can we can bring Sal in here in a moment and talk more about this. But you know, Buffalo has not only become a destination from that perspective. Now it's going to be a destination, as we've seen with Kenny Stills signing on the practice squad with probably a couple more options out there. Teams are going to want to come play here because they're good. 
Yeah, no, no doubt about that whatsoever. And, you know, the, the part about the fans, I love that as well, because I don't know how many you, you've talked to or seen on social media, but I've had so many fans say, oh, 2020 was a rough year, but at least the bills were good. And, and there was the the meme of, uh, I don't know, this little cartoon character and behind it said politics, it said COVID and he looked frightened. And then there was someone to give him a hug and it said 2020 bills season. Uh, so there's little things like that out there on social media. I think this year has meant a lot to a lot of the, the fans in the Bills Mafia just because of the way 2020 as a whole was for a lot of them. Sal Capaccio, he's in the house. Let's you don't do, you don't do the song very well. You don't. <laughs> he he like he probably so sick of it because every time like I have I do something with him, I just. I don't know. I see your face. I feel like I have to sing this, the jingle. I love the jingle. I tell um, you, I'm never sick of hearing about how good, how you know, cool I am, or my own song, or anything like that. I never get boring. You know me, Matt. You know, doing all this all the time. But no, I, I have little. I have people send me videos of their little kids singing this Al Capaccio song. It's it's become its own brand. I love it. How are you, my friend? I'm okay. You know, I mean, just like everybody else, kind of watching what's going on in the country, and uh, you know, it's it's a. Uh, it's a it's a rough day for a lot of people and a lot of us to kind of see what's going on, but at the same time, um, you know, they're we're we're trying to cover a football team and a playoff game, and you know, you guys providing this outlet for people, I think, for anybody who wants to come aboard, it's 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 a good thing. So, you know, ready to talk some football, and you know, everybody else, everybody's good here. Let me get your your quick reaction to. I'm sure you read the Deion Dawkins piece, did you? Yes, I did. What's what's your reaction to that? I mean, you're another guy that's you know grew up in the area that you really knows the dynamic of the team in the city. I thought it it was really eloquently done, and I just I really enjoyed it. Yeah, listen, it really hit me. It resonated a lot with me for a lot of the reasons. You know, first of all, when you know Dion the way we do, and you know, you and I, Matt, were on the uh, the Channel Four show that he's on as well, right? Uh, Buffalo Kickoff Live, and you know, we know that what kind of personality he can have, and he does have. We've gotten to know him a lot, all of us in the locker room, and just kind of just that personality he exudes. So when you read it, if you know him that well, you read it like he's telling you, right? And he, it's it's his voice; he's talking to you, and it makes it even more so. But you know, I did grow up here, and I know what this team means to this community and I know what the community mean, means to the team. You know, one of the things that I say to people all the time when I go on a lot of radio hits around the country is, you know, you know, people, they make fun of the Buffalo's weather. They ask, oh, is it, it's June. And they're like, is it snowing up there yet? You know, things like that and, and those kinds of things. And, you know, I always make it a point to say, you know, Buffalo is such a special place. That's why people like Jim Kelly still live here and Thurman Thomas still lives here and Steve Tasker still lives here and numerous countless hockey players. And of course, that's probably partly because it's close to the border, but you get it. And Dion is is showing you why when he when he's writing what he wrote about how special this place is for people, just for people in general, and to connect to the community like that. And then, you know, the Stefan Diggs stuff just blew me away. And mm -hmm. I've said on the air a lot that there's only been a, a very select few people that when I stepped onto the field for the first time and saw them play, I'm like, wow, like that guy's different. Sammy Watkins was one. Ronald Darby was another one. Tredavious White. I think those were the three guys I ever looked. I stepped on a field and went when they were, we were rookies, and I'm like, "Ooh, that guy's different. Like he's just special." And when he wrote about how he's like, "Ah, you know what? What was special about this guy? Everybody talks about him." He goes, "Then we go to watch him, and I'm like, oh my god, like this is what a superstar is.'" And what he said was was funny to read because it's true. He said, "Even those of us who played football our whole lives maybe didn't know people could be that good at football." <laughs> That's what's crazy about it. You know, Sal. So 
Third playoff appearance of these Bills in four years. First year kind of back in. Uh, last year, wild card team, but did it on their own. And then this year, winning the division. Obviously, there's been an evolution there in terms of how they've been getting in. But what's your biggest takeaway from this season? Or what will you take away from this season? The, the biggest takeaway, um, I think, has to be Josh Allen, his jump and his development and the fact that he's ready now. He's ready to to really kind of carry this franchise on his back. You know, he, he he doesn't need a babysitter anymore. And I don't think he really needed one necessarily last year, but I still think that there was some there in there where they were kind of still guarding against a little bit, even though they're letting him play a little more loose. Now, this is Josh's team. And yes, Brian Dable, of course, deserves a lot of credit for that. But, you know, I'm not as worried for example, if Brian Dable leaves because it's about Josh Allen now. Uh, no matter who's here, this is Josh Allen's football team, and, and he's gotten to the level of all these other people that we talked about, Ryan, for 20 years that are these franchise quarterbacks that we had to watch walk, in, walk into other places and the Bills have to deal with or watch win titles. You know, From Tom Brady to Drew Brees to Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger, the Bills have that guy now. They have that guy. And to me, that's what 2020 really became about, which is there's no more. I wrote back at the end of September, I wrote a column that got a lot of play and a lot of criticism from people because I wrote it when I did, which basically what I wrote was, stop it. There's no more doubting it. Josh Allen is a franchise quarterback. That's it. And people said, oh, it's too soon. It's not too soon. And, and I still feel that way. And obviously, I think he showed that. In terms of like the season away from like the, the team on the field accomplishments, but from your job perspective, what's been the most challenging part about covering the team in this year? Because it's obviously come with, I mean, this week is a perfect example. I mean, we haven't, we haven't even seen the team practice yet because of the COVID restriction. So, you know, I'm in a little different role than pretty much everybody else because I'm the sideline reporter on the radio broadcast. And to me, that's where it's come Matt. is we all have the same challenge that we're in the same boat, all of us reporters in the media. We, we have the same restrictions at practice as far as, you know, you know, standing a certain spot and only being there for a certain amount of time. We can't go in the locker room. I would say that a number one for me would be, I have not been able to develop any relationships with relationships with anybody like you guys. Those things are important, right? None of us, to my knowledge, none of us here have actually physically met Stefan Diggs before. Have you? No, I haven't. I've only seen him on a zoom call. I have never met Josh Norman. I've never met Tyler Bass. I've never met Quentin Jefferson. These people, they signed in the offseason, some of them. I've never physically met them, said hello to them, shook their hand, talked to them about something other than football. One of my favorite things to do in the locker room is to talk to Reed Ferguson about the New York Yankees. We're both Yankees fans. <laughs> and I mean, like, I can't do that. That's been a really challenging point for me, which is I'm a, I'm a people person. I'm a relationship person. I have not been able to develop relationships with people this year, and that has been a very tough task for me, um, tough to deal with because – um, that's just how I operate. And then the other part is because I am the sideline reporter, not being able to do my job the way I'm accustomed to doing it, especially on road games and home games, I'm still down in the moat. So it's, it's pretty much the same thing, but you know, I mean, like we're, we're watching monitors here and I'm trying to keep people updated on things I see during commercial breaks that you don't see at home because we don't have the commercials, but I'm not on the field. I can't experience what's actually happening or the feel of the sidelines and the things that you normally would see during a radio broadcast on the sidelines that you can't see in this situation. And is there even like a difference um, when you're at home and on the sidelines, like in the in the row of the seats? Is there even a difference from that perspective? I know there's no fans, but just from doing your job. You know, um, it's actually in some ways, believe it or not, it's a little bit better because I can go up a little bit higher and I can watch the angle. Right. You know, I can mm -hmm. be like, I can go 20 rows up and I can see it. Um, but yeah, the, the one difference that would be 
yet more challenging is I'm not right there on the field where I can't kind of look down the sidelines and kind of see what's going on. I can go up and I can look and I can, I can see things, but I'm not right there. Like when you're right there and you're 20 feet away, you kind of get a feel. You can hear things too. And I know that you can hear more things this year than normal because there's no fans, but yeah, that part of it, it it's been, it's been really, they've done a great job of allowing us to accommodate us in our roles, whether it's myself, TV sideline, video photography, the people who are in, who are there in the bowl, like we have freedom to move, walk around. We can, we can see different things. Um, it's the road that's really challenging because we're not there, but yeah, there's a couple of times where I'm like, boy, I wish I was right on the field and I can kind of peek my head over this way to see what's going on right now. Sal, how does this team entering the game on Saturday compare to what you expected from them through a regular season? Well, I picked them to go to the AFC championship game in my, uh, early crystal ball predictions for the year. I did not think they'd win 13 games though, guys. I mean, they're a hail Mary away from winning 14 games. Let's think about that. And the only three games they lost were one team making an unbelievable play, which they deserve credit for. And two games that were moved and postponed and moved and played on different times and things like that. Like that's the only three games they lost the whole year. I did not expect them to have this type of regular season. I expected them to win the division and I had them pick to go to the AFC championship game. So that, that part of it, you know, might've changed a little bit as far as the regular season. The thing I absolutely did not expect was this type of offense, offensive explosion. I thought Josh Allen would take a step. Um, you know, I thought maybe by the end of the year, people are like, okay, he's definitely a top 10 quarterback. I don't think I realized or thought that he could be doing the kinds of things he's doing and, and being that the conversations for MVP. I mean, right now, like he is. You know, you mentioned that Arizona game, and Deion Dawkins touched upon it in his column where he said the way that they were reacting after the game, it was like they had won their own Super Bowl. Do you think, and it's going to sound odd, but do you think that loss actually may have uh, sparked something in this team for that run? Because they've been undefeated since then. And not only that, before that Arizona game, they were winning games, but they were all close down to the wire. They've really started to put teams away since that loss. Yeah, two two things about that, Ryan. Um, you know, I think in a way it did because I think something that Micah Hyde said really kind of sh- stuck with me after that. And we talked with him maybe the week after that or two weeks after that, and he was reflecting and he said, like, they all just they took accountability for it. It wasn't like, oh, it was a lucky play. Like they actually thought about like, what could we have done differently? Like this was on us. We could have stopped it. We didn't, and there was no finger pointing, but what could I have done differently? Like they they, they treated that play like they would any other play, like maybe miss a missed tackle or something like that. Right. It wasn't, they didn't think about, oh, it was a lucky play and things like that. Like they took that to heart and said, we can't let that happen. Like this is, they're so buttoned up. They're so really on top of everything that that play mattered to that level, you know? And, and I think that really, that was really good for them. So I think in that respect, yes, but in another respect though, and what Dion wrote about, it's funny because after he wrote it, I had, I talked with my wife about this. I said, here, this is what he said about this whole thing, which is crazy about how they were celebrating like they won the Super Bowl. And hey, that's great. Credit to them. And we didn't feel like we lost the Super Bowl. And it, it reminds me of, it's like we all have kids, right? You guys all have kids. I have kids. And, you know, if, if my son like tells me, oh, I did this, I did this. And I'm like, well, that's good. That's what you're supposed to do every day. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not applauding you for something you're supposed to do all the time. Right. It's great. But there's a standard now. Like, you know, this is how you're supposed to be. So it's not special when you do it. And I think that that resonated with me, what he said, because it's like, you know, like, okay, we lost a game. Like, this is not the end all be all. We're here now. 
Like we're, we're yep, we should have won, but this is not. Oh my God, we lost a game. We might miss the playoffs. There's a there's now an expectation of this is just the way it is. Okay, we lost a game. We're gonna move on. We're gonna go down to the next game. Speaking of the next game, uh, Buffalo and Indianapolis. Let's get let's get into the weeds here a little bit because it's an interesting matchup. It's one that you know. For a while there, I mean, there was a chance that they could Indianapolis could win the division. So I don't know. I was kind of looking more at maybe Miami. It, just the thought of a ten win team um, not missing the playoffs. You know, it, it, it's crazy how good, really, in hindsight, the AFC was this year. But let's get into the Colts a little bit, and I want to start with their uh, passing game. Philip Rivers, T.Y. Hilton. They've kind of been better since he's been back. Uh, T.Y. got into a little bit uh, in his media call about whether or not. He, he thinks Tredavious White's going to travel with him. He thinks that he will. Uh, but it's funny because Frank Reich, listening to him, he talked about how good the Bills defense is, but that they don't have any really like superstar guys. Like those guys that come in, like if you play the Texans, you know you're getting J.J. Watt. If you play the Steelers, you know it's it's T.J. Watt. If you play in the 49ers, it's Richard Sherman. I, I kind of feel like Tredavious White should kind of be that guy at this point. No? Yeah, I – I think Travis is that guy, right? He has to be. He's an all-pro. He's a first-team all-pro. So, I mean, there's no doubt about it. But I, I understand where he's coming from. I wonder, by the way, if the Bills will use that. I remember last year against the um, the Steelers, Mason Rudolph, he said something that was totally innocuous. He was not trying to, like, down the Bills. And he said something like, they don't do – like, they're not great at one thing. He's just really good at everything. And the Bills were like, yeah, we'll show them. Like, we're not great, huh? Like, they made it, they made it into a thing where he said they weren't great, which he wasn't trying to do. But I wonder if this is something that motivates them and says, oh, really? Frank Reich says that we don't have great players. Even though that's not really what he's trying to say. He's right. trying to say which – he's trying to say – what I think we all agree with, which is Sean McDermott's defense is about team. It's team defense. It's not the sum is always greater than the parts with Sean McDermott. And it's a great point because I'll say it a lot too. And then what I always followed up with Matt is, but they do have Tredavious White and he is a great <laughs> player, right? I mean, so yeah, he does have it. And when he was in Carolina, he had Luke Keekley, but let's remember those teams. They were not about individual stars. They were about the team. And that's what this team is. This team is about the team on defense. So yeah, this is a really good team defense and that, but that's what they are. They, they are unselfish. They understand what their roles are, but they certainly have standouts. And I think that maybe if Matt Milano is playing in a different market, he is probably viewed as a different player than what he is in Buffalo. We all know how great he is. Um, you know, today Tremaine Edmonds has a name, maybe he's a first round pick and they've had success since he's been here. We know Josh Norman has a name from where he came from. Um, Jordan Poyer still amazingly, you know, not in the pro bowl, but you know, he, he's, he's a superstar. If he plays in another market, I think, unfortunately, mm -hmm. just the way it is in Buffalo. But I think that you're right. Tredavious white, his name should be rolling off the tongue with anyone who wants to say, do the bills have any great players? What about that run game that Jonathan Taylor, 250 yards against Jacksonville last week, how much of an issue can he be against the bills? And maybe a little follow-up here. Is he the running back that you have to worry about the most? Because they also have a really good pass catching option. Yeah, in fact, I'll go back to what Matt's first question was there about you know the passing game and tie it into the run game, Ryan, which is this team loves to throw to their running backs and they love to throw to their tight ends. If you look at their overall team stats, their best receiver catching the ball is Hines. Hines has mm -hmm. 63 catches, 482 yards. You add that on to Zach Taylor, um, uh, Jonathan Taylor, excuse me, Jonathan Taylor, they're close to 700, 800 yards receiving between their running backs. And then they love to throw to the tight ends as well. Um, this is not a team that really loves to go to the outside. They can, they have T.Y. Hilton. But here's the other thing. They do not stretch the field a lot. It reminds me a lot of what the Pittsburgh Steelers do. Here's, here's a, a, a stat for everybody. The 
from the line of scrimmage to his target, just from the line of scrimmage to his target, Philip Rivers is 26th in the league in passing. Basically, like uh, that's how short he only seven yards. There's a seven yard average, 7.6 yard average from the line of scrimmage to the target. That's 26th in the league, but he's second in the league in yards after catch. So he's getting it to guys and they're running. And that's because he throws it to tight ends and he throws it to running backs out of the backfield and he makes, but, but their defense, their offense, excuse me, is going to make your defense miss them. They're going to make your defense cover them and they're going to make your defense miss them. You got to be good tacklers and you got to have good cover guys against linebackers and tight ends. And they've been better in that department as the season's gone on. Um, Like, I mean, early in the season, I mean, you go back to the Kansas city game uh, when AJ Klein was kind of, installed early on and I don't want to just put it on him I mean Taron Johnson even at times uh was struggling in in terms of tackling which is kind of his strong suit I think that the Bills are kind of like the fact that they're playing this team at this time when they are so secure in their identity and how they want to play and everybody's roles like I don't anticipate that being an issue, but to your point, if they if they don't tackle in this game, that's where you'll run into the problem because you can make this team really one dimensional really quick. Because I think I think Philip Rivers is going to struggle in the pocket with this pass rush that's been much better. I know their interior offensive line is really really good, but I like a couple of those matchups even still because of the rotation, and they should be able to do some works on the edge because of the uh, tackle situation, especially on the left side. Yeah, but Rivers does get rid of the ball very quickly. And again, mm-hmm. he's like Rivers, like, I mean, he's like uh, Ben Roethlisberger like that, right? He doesn't want to get sacked. He doesn't move very well, so he knows he has to get rid of it. Um, he's tough to sack, by the way. It's, for a guy who doesn't move real well, like, he's tough to bring down. They do a great mm-hmm. job protecting him. They're, like, third in the league and, you know, sacks per pass attempt as far as lowest. But you're right, Matt. I mean, you you can, that doesn't mean you can't get pressure. You can still get pressure on him. You could force him into those shorter throws. In fact, I read somewhere that last week, that stat I gave you where, you know, from him, from line of scrimmage to target, that last week it was only two yards or something like that. Like, that's wow. the average pass. They hardly threw them all downfield. So, yep, you could try to make them one-dimensional. I think that's the game plan for the Bills, what it has to be, which is shut down this running game. M- make Phillip Rivers beat you, and then he's going to have to really work hard because he's not mm-hmm. going to really beat you down the field. Maybe they'll get a pass off. Maybe they'll, you know, complete something down the field. But stop the run game. Stop what they like to do best. Stop Jonathan Taylor. And if you can do that, then you have a really good shot because as much as they do have some weapons, I, I would I would take if it becomes a it becomes a passing game, so to speak, I don't think anybody would doubt that the Bills would have an advantage there. Should the Bills almost have the similar type game plan to what they did against the Steelers then in terms of how quickly B- Big Ben was getting rid of the ball this year, Roethlisberger? Uh, and, and then uh, start of the game, he had some success, and then the Bills started kind of sitting on those short throws, jumping the routes. Do you see that kind of coming into play here with Rivers because they know he's going to try to get rid of the ball so quickly? 100%, Ryan, I do. And one thing I noticed um, from being field level for that Steelers game, I noted it in the broadcast, was the Bills were really – I mean, not just sitting, they were playing up near the line of scrimmage more than I can remember. Like each guy was, they were in their face. They were just right up at the line of scrimmage. Um, I think there were a couple, wasn't there a couple GIFs of Tredavious White, like manhandling Chase Claypool in that game? You remember that? Like he mm-hmm. got up on them. And I remember that everybody was doing that across the board. And I would, I think the Bills can do that in this game. Like, hey, all right, we know you like to get rid of the ball quick. So we're not going to give you an opportunity necessarily for these guys to get two yards in the line of scrimmage and turn around and you throw it to them. So I'd love to see that. But the other thing is they got to tackle well. They got to tackle well. You know, I wouldn't be totally shocked if the Bills use a little bit more of the 4-3 base here. Um, You know, Taron Johnson is an excellent slot. We know that. But now with a healthy Milano and A.J. Klein, 
We saw a little bit of that last game. They actually did play a little bit of that against Miami. And Miami's kind of like that too, where Tua doesn't want to throw it downfield. So you want to make sure you have your studs who can tackle up front. And that's not a knock on Taron Johnson. We know he is. But, you know, I, I just wonder if maybe that's something they want to dedicate a little bit more to in, in the run. And I'm wondering how they play that personnel. Maybe some big nickel with Saran Neal could come into play in this in this game because I do think that, you know, that's what they're going to do, the Colts, which is try to run the ball. And maybe that's the counter you have to, you have to go with a little bit more beef maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny you bring that up because Ryan and I have been talking about that at several times throughout the year. Is like, when are they going to pull that card, the four three card? Because they played it quite a bit more last year with Lorenzo Alexander. They just they've gone to almost completely base nickel this year. And to your point, you can do that when you have somebody like Taron Johnson who plays physical, kind of has that linebacker mentality with his style of play. Um, do you? But do you think? I guess at the, on the same token. Do you think that they would deviate from what they feel has been working so well? Because they haven't played any 4-3. So in this to go 4-3 this week would be a little bit of a gamble, I guess, unless you're seeing it in practice and you're liking it there. No, I don't think they I don't think they will like start off. I think it's something you go to if you need to. I think it's something you go to if they start hurting you with it a little bit. You know, I'll give you an example. The um the Rams game, I believe it was. The Rams, when they started to run the ball a little more, they brought in D Marlowe and they said, All right, well, you know what? We're going we're gonna to have to go a little bit more big nickel here. Now, he's a big nickel safety, not a big nickel corner, right? But because they can still throw the ball, I think it was the Rams. It might even been the Chargers when they went second half a little bit like that. Uh, but that was something like that. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's just something that they they are willing to go to in the situation. I think if I remember right, they played a little bit of that against Miami, though, last week. Now, that might have been because of the game and the circumstance and getting guys reps. I get that. But I do think that they played three linebackers a few times against Miami last week. Shifting gears here a little bit, Brian Dable, hot candidate on the head coaching market. And you know, when we, when Matt and I have talked about this recently, we, we've looked at teams like the Chargers and Jacksonville because of the young quarterbacks. But now the Texans kind of have come into play. Uh, and obviously they have a franchise guy in Deshaun Watson. Uh, and now there's that tie there with Nick Casario. So is there a best fit in your opinion for where Brian Dable should go? Should he go with a place that already has an established franchise quarterback or should he, do you think he'd be better off molding a younger guy like a Trevor Lawrence or Justin Herbert? So, I mean, I think the best job is the chargers. You know what I mean? Like if, if Brian Dable could just like pick and choose, then I think you go to the chargers. You have Justin Herbert right there. You have a ready-made, I mean, they have a good roster. They had some injuries this year. You know, when they they when they get Derwin James back next year and they get a couple more guys healthy, Justin Herbert's going to be and, and he's so similar to Josh, right? Plus, you know, the Houston Texans as much I love Deshaun. I think Deshaun Watson is great. Watson is great, but they don't have a first round pick or a second round pick. I think there's some organizational chaos going on there. I do understand mm-hmm. that the tie in and all that. When everything started, I will tell you, like way back when, I thought, okay, when Will O'Brien was fired, I immediately started tying in because the. The Texans have always been after the Patriots model going back to when they, you know, they, uh, they brought Brian Gain and then let him go and like, well, we don't really want that. To, we, we, Bill O'Brien, this is what we want. We want the Patriots model. And, you know, they've always kind of been after that with Easter be there and all those kinds of things. I always thought, okay, well, Brian Dable might go there. Then, you know, as things went on, you're like, man, the chargers are a great job here for this guy uh, with everything we just said, plus Telesco, they went to high school at St. Francis together. So I think that to me, if you have a choice of a job, it's the chargers, but I mean, who am I to say where Brian Dable should go? You know, if he feels comfortable with the people he's working with, I think organization should matter and will matter to Brian Dable. Think about who he's worked under and with Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, and Sean McDermott. I mean, you understand if you're Brian Dable, how an organization should be structured and what it should look like. 
that's why I don't think the Jets would be a place that he'd necessarily want to go. Like, there's a lot of questions about where that organization is and their chaos and structure. And I still think the Texans have that as well, but he probably feels comfortable with the people who's there. And I, I do know, by the way, like he, Easterby and Casario and him, they, they do have like a good relationship. And, and I understand why that would be appealing to him. You know, something's funny. It just kind of occurred to me just now as we're talking about, it. I think it has before, but I never really put a lot of, you know, thought into it. This, this is kind of like a weird time in the world, you know, in, in the NFL world during the pandemic to maybe, you know, start a new journey as a head coach. Like if you think about it, all of these head coaches that are going to, they're, they're going to end up in these new jobs, these six new jobs. I mean, they're really going to be at a weird spot. I mean, what's the, what's the combine going to look like? What's the senior bowl going to look like? What, what, what kind of information do they have from the year in terms of scouting in during a pandemic with a shortened season, with less games, all this stuff. There's still like a lot of question marks with, you know, the off season. I mean, the NFL has done a phenomenal job getting the season in and, and having it work the way that it has, but there's still just a little piece of me as much as it is just common sense, 100% Brian Dable's so hot right now. It would not make any sense for him not to take one of these jobs. If he's offered them, there's still like a, this little glimmer. And I can't remember who I was reading or listening to on a podcast. There's been so much this week, but somebody else was alluding to it. He's really comfortable here. He, he, he has a situation that is really, really good. And with the success that they, that he has, I mean, if he does stay, he's probably in line for some type of raise. Could you at least see a world like me that it doesn't make sense right now to make this move because of everything that's going on here? And maybe additionally, some of the, the challenges that they'll, that he'll face in year one in this kind of climate. So you think like, basically you're asking like, could I see where he might just pass on a job this year? Right. Where it's just not a perfect fit from sure. any number of different ways. I think so. But I think they would have to really kind of dry up, Matt. Like I think that the Chargers would have to dry up and the Texans would have to dry up. I, I think it would have to be because there's only a couple jobs left and they just certainly aren't appealing. I do. I don't think that if he has his choice to be a head coach that he would pass on it. Like mm -hmm. this is, this is what he has built his whole life around. This is what these people do for their whole careers. The pinnacle of this profession is to become an NFL head coach and to run your own program. And the money is astronomical and the, what comes along with it. I mean, again, it's the pinnacle of your career, right? So I can't see him even in the scenarios you painted, which is all a valid point that you raise, like all those kinds of things. I can't see Brian Dable just saying, Hmm, I just really don't, I don't think the time is right. I look at, there's been people around the league. Like someone pointed out to me who was, I mean, Where's Greg Roman's name this year? You know what I mean? I mean, I, you might only get one shot to do this in this league. Look at Brian Schottenheimer and like nobody wants, nobody's even knocking on his door anymore. You know, right. so if you Josh get Daniels to a degree as well, I, I know that there's, he came yeah. up too, but. And, and, yeah. and obviously okay. some circumstances there where he basically kind of, you know, uh, did that to himself in a lot of ways, but right. you're right. You know, so I can't see him saying, I just don't, I don't think it's right. But who knows what these. You never know. He is from here. He's here now. His family is here. Obviously, he has a great situation with Josh Allen. He may say that. He he could. You never know what anybody's desires are. I just know from being around football people and football coaches my whole life that this is what they live for, to, to be in this position to get one of these jobs. And if one comes calling, 
then you know you take the opportunity unless of course there's only a couple out there the other ones have dried up and you say i'm just not comfortable but i just don't think he would pass on it to pass on it because he's he's unsure about you know basically the the other stuff that you were talking about mm -hmm. so the line for this game opened up at six and a half and it really just hasn't moved at all i mean it's still sitting at six and a half in a lot of sports books in vegas and you look at the matchup and you break it down every different way we've talked about a couple factors here tonight you see so many paths to victory for the Bills. I mean, the way that their offense is playing, the defense, and you know, just historically under McDermott has been so good, and and they've really elevated their level of play. You know, this this offense, I don't think their passing game, to your point, really scares you because of what they rely on. So, I guess, what is the Colts' best path to victory, in your opinion? Probably to get a couple of turnovers, you know, be aggressive on the defensive side, force Josh into making a couple of mistakes, maybe get him amped up a little bit where he has to kind of maybe revert to hero ball, if you will, um, you know, get, get the bills, get Josh Allen specifically to maybe get out of character and do something that, you know, th that they haven't done in the last several weeks, you know, turn the ball over, make a few mistakes like that. I think that's number one, maybe on defense, they can do that. If they just try to, I just, what I don't think is smart for them is to say, Hey, Ben, don't break. You know what I mean? I mean, the bills, they can score from anywhere on the field. They're going to beat you. They're, they're going to do that if that's the case. Um, but the other part on offense run the ball, you know, if they can run the ball and yeah, they may have to want to play a 21, 20 game, uh, you know, if they can do that, but run the ball cash in on every opportunity, you just can't, they, they can't just settle for field goals like that, but they're going to, I see them trying to play keep away in that regard, you know, with Frank Reich and, you know, he was, Frank Reich, he was on those 90s Bills teams, and he saw what Bill Belichick did to the 90s, 1990 team in the mm. Super Bowl by doing that and holding time of possession. I know it's completely, and I'll be the first to tell you, totally different world we live in with football. I get it. But I think that that's how pe football people think, which is, hey, let's play keep away and not let them have that opportunity. I just think that the Bills are so good, even if they only have two minutes to score, they they can score. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, let's get into the injury situation a little bit before I let you get out of here. Obviously, Cole Beasley didn't practice today. Stefan Diggs was very uh, optimistic when asked about what his injury situation is. He didn't practice today as well. Uh, we weren't out there, so we weren't able to see what's going on there. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie still dealing with an ankle a little bit, but he should probably be good to go. Take us into that situation a little bit from your perspective. You know, do you think that th th this could? you know, have an impact on this offense you know, Diggs kind of banged up potentially not having Cole Beasley, or do you think that, you know, Diggs probably plays Isaiah McKenzie probably plays and, and you still like that because of what McKenzie showed last week. I, I, I mean, look, I, I think they all, I think that Diggs and McKenzie play at this point. I don't know if we can count on Beasley, right? I mean, it's just, it's been a couple of weeks now. He's still dealing with it. You can lose one of these guys. I'd even say you could lose Stefan Diggs and you'd probably still be able to be okay. Although he's super important right. because man, they just have guys, they just churn them out. I mean, think about it. John Brown is still there. Gabriel Davis is still there. And Isaiah right. McKenzie, boy, if, if Cole Beasley can't play, you could do a heck of a lot worse than Isaiah McKenzie, which he showed last week if he has to play. So right. I think they'll be okay. I still think they have major weapons and look, the tight ends, you know, Dawson Knox, he can make a play or two for you like that as well. Um, so yeah, I think they're going to be okay there. I think that the concern would be if you really if you get two of them and especially three of them for some reason they can't play. Now you're stretching yourself, and hey, you also still have Kenny Stills on that practice squad, as you said. Um, you know they know that they can put Andre Roberts in there. It's not preferable, but you can put him in there if you need to. And they have Duke Williams on the practice squad. You can call him up. So it, this team has built a really nice roster in in case of emergency situations. 
Sal, you mentioned Stills by name. Do you think there is a situation where they elevate him this quickly and he plays a handful, two handfuls of snaps, maybe just goes out there and you say, this is the route you're running. You know, we know you still have that speed. Uh, or do you think it's still too soon? No, I think there's a chance, Ryan. I Especially, I think, if you're going to be down a couple of receivers or you're, you're tentative and maybe think, hey, you know what, we're out cold and we're a little concerned about Stefan or Isaiah. Can they finish the game? I, I could see a, a situation like that for sure. Um, you know, yeah, like you said, you don't have to know the entire playbook necessarily. Just know the things and, you know, if we're going to put you on the field, there's certain routes that we want you to run and we know that you can run them. You know, he can play inside. He can play outside. He's mainly an outside guy, but he's done fine in the slot as well in his career when he's been placed there. So I'm not going to predict it that they elevate him, but I, I do think there's a chance they could. We got uh, a big weekend ahead of us, my friend. Not only do we have a football game to cover, but two full hour editions of Buffalo kickoff live. I mean, it, You've covered this team for a while now. Not a lot of playoffs, you know, uh, opportunities to cover this team. How much fun is this for you? Oh, it's great. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's tempered, though, by, you know, everything that's happened this year with all the fans not being able to be there. And now we're going to get some fans, which is really nice. But, you know, there's so many times where I've thought to myself, I just wish the fans were here. You know, I go back to the Seattle game. It just would have been amazing if they were in that stadium. You know, you guys were there. If it would have been, you know, beating the Rams in the last play of the game, essentially, would have been amazing. And so it's super fun. Believe me, I don't want to say that it's not. I'm, I'm very privileged. I have an amazing job. I love it. You know, but um, it reminds me of the movie for Love of the Game. You guys ever see the movie for Love of the Game? Kevin yep. Costner. Kevin right? Costner. Yeah. Yep. Right. I'm not spoiling it. It's like 20 years old. So if anybody ever seen it, don't tell me I'm spoiling it for you. So he throws the perfect game. And then he says to Jane, you know, when he sees her the next day at the airport and, you know, he's going after her and he says, last night should have been the best night of my life, but it wasn't because you weren't there. And it reminds me of that, which is sharing the great moments is what the great moments are about. Right. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and this year we haven't been able to share those moments with 70,000 fans. So it's been a little bit tempered, but it's certainly been fun. And my message to anybody though, and the way I look at it though, guys is. Don't worry because the the great moments, there's a lot more still ahead because this team is set up to have them. For sure. Well, thank you so much for taking a little time. Um, let everybody know about your show, which has been killing a lot of great guests. Uh, any plans for this week and where can they find it? Yeah, actually, uh, I got a uh, Colts podcaster and uh, his name is Matt. He's like, you know, from the, um, the SB Nation uh, nice. Colts side of things. He's going to be joining mm -hmm. me. Um, we're um, we're going to be on tomorrow and it's going to be after the Buffalo kickoff live. See, so oh, I know beautiful. You're Buffalo kickoff live from seven to eight uh, from, um, from what time? Seven to seven 30. There you go. Seven to seven 30. Sorry about that. I'll be on from seven 30 to eight. And then I'm doing my show from eight to eight 30. So beautiful. everybody can check it out and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at sales sports. I'll obviously be updating everybody tomorrow on the morning show with Howard and Jeremy and on with uh show up with the bulldog in the afternoon as I normally am. So, you know, we, we got all the normal stuff going on at WGR as well. Well, beautiful. Thank you for taking some time again, my friend. Have a great night. Uh, give uh, Max a fist bump for me. Yeah, I will. I will. I think he's uh, somewhere playing Fortnite right now. So, you know, <laughs> there you go. We'll see how many, how many people he's killed with bow and arrows and axes and things like that. <laughs> Have a good night, man. <laughs> you too. Ready for football? Tops is. With ready-to-serve fan favorites, everyone will cheer for. Delicious family or party packs like pizza, sliders, fried chicken, barbecue, or beef on whack. Starting at only $4 per serving. Perfect for game day and any day. Only at Tops. All right, we're rolling here. That was our first guest, Sal Capaccio, WGR 550. Thank you so to him so much for coming on and spending some time. Some great insight there. I, I, I want to ask you, Ryan, the same question. I mean, what is the path to victory here for the Colts? Because, you know, kind of 
creeping into you know Indianapolis's um, you know coverage from the week, and there seems to be you know within their beat and kind of their media scene. I don't want to say a level of confidence that there's a you know a, an upset possibility because they they are talking about the Bills as being this kind of um, just offensive explosive team that can that can really do a lot of things. But there it does seem too that they're a lot they're injected in that is a lot of um, you know maybe potential ways that Indianapolis can keep this game close and maybe beat them. How do you think a, a game where the Colts win? How does that go? I think it is uh, winning the time of pos- uh, possession battle. I really do think it comes down to that, and, and especially early in the game. Uh, they need to sustain some long drives, keep that Bills defense on the field, and, and put up some points. Obviously, they're going to lean on their running game early because that is the strength of this team. Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines. And when I say the running game, I mean the run- I should say they're running backs because they can be used in multiple ways as rushers and as receivers. And if they can score some early points, that will allow them to continue to run the ball, continues to run time off the clock, keep the ball out of the hands of Josh Allen and company, because we know Josh Allen, like Sale said, in this offense, they can put up points quickly. But as long as they're going toe-to-toe in terms of scoring or keeping it close, that's going to allow them to continue to run the ball, and that's the biggest key for them to win this game. Uh, if the Bills put up points quickly and, and build a sizable lead, let's just say a 14 point lead, uh, then I think all of a sudden they're going to have to go past happy. And that plays right into Buffalo's hand from uh, one, it k- takes them away from their, their greatest strength. And two, we've seen what the bills can do against quarterbacks to get that ball out quickly this year. That can lead to some turnovers that can lead to some three and outs. The clock's not running, gives the bills the ball back, and then they can put up even more points. It, and that can snowball quickly for opposing teams as we've seen in the Denver game in the new England game. And then obviously against the Dolphins as well. I'm a bit bummed about Cole Beasley only because, and I'll be excited to watch Isaiah McKenzie work as well, but Kenny Moore is a really, really good slot cornerback. And I think that that would have been probably a premier matchup to watch in this game. Uh, Obviously Xavier Rhodes, who spent most of his career in Minnesota, Stefan Diggs talked a little bit about him today and uh, that potential matchup. We'll get into that with Joel A. Erickson, uh, from uh, the Indy Star in a little while, uh, but I also want to bring you a, a little uh, a little intel from the the Colts this week. I've been I was kind of going through all their press conferences, and that's a cool thing about this this day and age. I mean, I don't know if, if if NFL teams always did this, but all of them put their Zoom interviews usually on YouTube, so you can watch all the the press conferences and stuff like that. And so I went, I was going through some of the Colts, and I and I was watching Darius Leonard and. I'm going to write a story on this tomorrow and I'm probably giving away. So I should maybe write it right after we get off the show here tonight in case anybody else is going to jump on it. But um, one of the angles we talked about going into the week storylines was, you know, the two linebackers in this game, same draft, Darius Leonard for the Colts, Tremaine Edmonds for the bills. And Leonard was asked today about if he, if he really notices or, or maybe raises the level of intensity in games where he's playing against uh, a team that, took one of the linebackers that went ahead of him. And obviously Edmonds is one of those guys. And he said, yeah. And he basically said, listen, I still have, uh, he, he said he was cleaning out his his house this week and he broke one of the um, frames that had, he has a bunch of game worn jerseys and one of them broke this week, uh, this past week or two weeks ago. And it was from the bills game where he had a really good game the last time they played and he framed the Jersey. And it's just one of those things where he says, every time he plays a game against one of those guys, nothing personal, he wants to beat that team and he wants to be better than that guy. And he said he spent time out at the Pro Bowl with um, 
uh, Tremaine, and obviously, you know, if you if you meet Tremaine, I mean, there's not really many things bad things you can say about the guy. But he said, "I want to go out there and prove to the Bills that they made a mistake and they took the wrong guy." And I kind of like sat back a little bit and like, you don't you you don't get a lot of that kind of honesty usually from players. And I I thought it was refreshing, but at the at the same time, this is a real problem. Not only do you have a guy in Darius Leonard who's a playmaker that I think can cause some problems at that second level and even in the in the backfield a little bit but he's he's ratcheting up the intensity this week not only for the playoffs but because you know he's got a chip on his shoulder and and i know guys try to put chips all over their shoulders all all season long i mean the bills sal was talking about it they're probably trying to scour through and find things to put put them on their shoulders but some somebody definitely to watch yeah, Leonard always plays like his hair is on fire. He's all over the field. Like you said, he's a playmaker. Uh, he can be a problem. He can close on balls really quickly. I know we, we've seen Josh uh, squeeze some passes into tight windows, but Leonard has the athleticism and the ability to make those jumps. So it will be interesting to watch him play. Uh, he is a superstar. He is a, a fun player to watch if you've ever uh, get a chance to watch or if you've had a chance to watch a Colts game. So he's going to be a guy to definitely watch on that defense on Saturday. All right, let's bring him in. Our next guest, Mr. Joel A. Erickson from the Indianapolis Star. Thank you for so much for joining us. I, I emailed you yesterday. I know it's a short week, taking some time. We really appreciate it. How are you? I'm doing. I'm doing pretty good, guys. Uh, how are you guys doing up there? We are great. We we're, we're great. We can't complain. I mean, uh, you know, people are asking me like, what's it been like to cover you know football and in, in the COVID world? I'm like, hey, I got a job. We got we got football to cover. It is a it's a good time and it's a good game. This is this is an intriguing matchup because you know we I was talking to a previous guest about this, like you know, kind of mapping out the playoffs and potential opponents. And I didn't spend a ton of time on Indy because I thought you know they had a good chance to win the division. I mean, all the way up until till Sunday, I thought that there was a real potential there. Um, but the big storyline coming out of Indy this past week and really this last month, Jonathan Taylor. So I want to start there and. How shocked are you as somebody that covers the team, the rebound that he's had after a slow start and how good he's been down the stretch? How surprising has it been for you? Um, I, I think you could kind of see some uh, signs of it early on. He, he he struggled with some vision. He had some issues. Uh, but um, you could see the power. You could see the speed. And it was just kind of a matter of time of him figuring it out. I, I think I kept thinking back to like, uh, I remember people talking about how Christian McCaffrey struggled at the beginning. I thought maybe it would take a year. So I was, I'm a little surprised it came at the end of the year. Uh, mm. But really the Green Bay game, you started to see him run and know like kind of who he was. He kind of started with the power. He's a big guy. He's 226 pounds. He kind of started with the power. And then after that, you could kind of just see him putting it together to the point that I think over the last three or four, three or four weeks, Colts fans just, they, they just, they almost don't even want to see the Colts throw. Just give it to Taylor every time. Surely that'll work out. <laughs> and you know, one of the one of the big reasons he's been so successful is that interior offensive line. What makes them so successful, and what can they do against Buffalo's defensive line on Saturday to make this game difficult for for Buffalo to win? Well, it, it all starts with Quentin Nelson. Um, I think most people know he's he's probably one of the only famous guards in the league. I don't know how many there are. <laughs> Uh, but but if you watch the Colts on a, on a weekly basis, they they really do. They use him like Frank Reich likes to call him a weapon, and they use him that way. Like the whole running game is built around what Nelson's doing, where where he is, how he's pulling, who he's comboing, where he's getting to the right spot. Um, and, and then I think the other thing is 
Uh, Ryan Kelly is really good at getting to the second level. Uh, and then the right guard, Mark Lewinsky, is probably the least talented member of the offensive line, but he's also maybe the nastiest, which is good for mm. blocking. Um, and and the right tackle, actually, Braden Smith was a guard in college who played at Auburn and played in like a we run it 50 times a game scheme. So there's a lot of run blocking there. Uh, I think the biggest thing uh, for, for what, they, what they're going to do against Buffalo is just um, that Reich will keep hammering away. He's going to keep trying. To, to get it going, even if it doesn't go right away. Now, if, if the Bills stopped him for an entire half, maybe he goes away for it. But um, but for the most part, he, he, he'll stick with the run. It, it, there's a lot of coaches that will get away from the NFL. He won't. How have things changed? It seemed like uh, you know they didn't miss too much of a beat last last week at, uh, at left tackle with Anthony Costanzo out. But how much of a concern is that, especially against, I think, a Bills defensive line that maybe doesn't get enough credit for their ability to pressure the quarterback. Their sack numbers aren't great. They're around the middle middle of the league. But pressure rate, Jerry Hughes specifically, is year after year in the top 10. And, and I think he could cause a problem. But how many concerns are there? Uh, you mentioned the right side, but what about the left side? I, I think the left side is a big concern. Uh, Costanzo, the Colts are something like 3-11 and 11 over the years when Costanzo doesn't play. Mm. Um, they, they really had trouble in the second half of the, of the first Texans game when Costanzo wasn't in there. Uh, Jared Veldier, uh, is, is the veteran who's going to play there. He's he essentially got signed out of retirement. Um, they're on their like seventh or eighth left tackle. Mm. Uh, and he, he held up well, he held up okay last week, but it, it's Jacksonville and jo- Josh Allen's been on the other Josh Allen. I realize I'm talking in a Buffalo podcast, but, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the other Josh Allen hasn't been available for the Jaguars for a while. So it's not, it's not an edge rush that was going to hurt them. Um, I think obviously Hughes is a much bigger test for Veldier. I think the big thing is that – so the last time they didn't have Kastan – the last time they didn't – before before this, they, where they really struggled was Pittsburgh. And uh, the biggest problem with Pittsburgh was they also didn't have their right tackle, Braden Smith. And they were trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to both block T.J. Watt on the right side and help whoever was on the left side because they were missing both tackles. Smith will be there. He's unbelievable. He's been very, very good all season. They, The Colts, I think – if you had truth serum on him, would say he's been their best offensive lineman this season. They, they would never wow. say that publicly because Quentin Nelson has his reputation and whatever. But I think if you had truth serum on him, Smith's been the best one. He hasn't given up a sack all season. So I think wow. the help the help is going to go towards Veldier this week. They, they, they liked what they saw out of him. But, I mean, again, he was coaching East Grand Rapids High School like six weeks ago or something. So, <laughs> um, so I, he, he's going to need some help. I assume they're going to get it to him. Uh, and the other thing is, I, I kind of assume they're going to do what they've done. It's going to be kind of hard against the Bills, given the, the aggressive nature of that secondary. But Philip Rivers gets the ball out of his hand real fast, just like mm-hmm. not quite as fast as Roethlisberger, but but in that range. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many intriguing matchups there. I mean, I think Naheem Hines and probably Matt Milano or Tremaine Edmonds. That's it's going to be fun to watch because you know I made an argument earlier this week that as good as Jonathan Taylor is and has been. And I think he's definitely somebody that has to concern you where the bills have struggled at times under Sean McDermott has been those teams. Like you go to new England, for example, and how they've utilized James white in the passing game. That's kind of been an Achilles heel at times it, when teams have been able to get it going. And I feel like watching not like just Heinz's, you know, season highlight reel, he does it really well. Yeah. Heinz is a leading receiver. Um, he's the leading receiver for the Colts in terms of receptions this year. I think 63 catches mm-hmm. uh, and Taylor actually, uh, doesn't do it as much, but he does. He does 
and uh, and it has had some big big plays, some thirty five yard plays on little swing passes and stuff like that. And obviously, I think everybody knows Philip Rivers loves the running back. He loves throwing to the running back. So um, that uh, I, I was I actually didn't know that about the Bills in terms of having a, an Achilles heel with the running back. But yeah, that's that's if if they can get Naheem Hines going and kind of isolate him on some stuff, they will do it. They 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 love getting him open if they can. Mm-hmm. Flipping it around to the other side of the ball, Stefan Diggs today was really complimentary of Xavier Rhodes. How has Rhodes' season been with the Colts? Uh, I know the end of his tenure there with Minnesota was uh, wasn't as great as, as how it started. So how's he fared in Indianapolis? He's they. I I'll be honest. When they signed him, I thought this is real risk to go with Xavier Rhodes on a. He's only playing on a three point two five million dollar deal. Um, I was like. That's, that seems – I was very skeptical of the move when it happened. They said that they thought they could get him back to a Pro Bowl level. Uh, he's he's essentially played at that level. I mean, hmm. he doesn't have the turnovers that you'd want from a cornerback in a cover two scheme, but his 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 coverage ratings, the way he's been – essentially teams have quit attacking Rhodes for the most part, and they attack the other side where TJ Carey and Rocky Sin are. Um hmm. It's really been impressive, and I think I think the big thing is the Colts don't ask him to do what the Vikings used to ask him to do, where he had to line up and man-to-man on somebody and play there all game. The Colts don't do that. They're, they're playing in, in zones. He plays to one side. He's, he's very, very rarely traveled. It's very specific situations, just like a handful of snaps per game. And I think that served him well. Clearly, he's clearly in, uh, an intelligent cornerback, and so by, by leaving him in zone a little bit more, you allow him to use his instincts and 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 play on his experience. Whereas, instead of putting him in man to man and just saying, "Okay, you you've got to stick with these guys," which I don't I don't really think he could do play in and play out anymore. I, I wouldn't want to put him on digs the way you would have done in like 2017 and just said, "Okay, just take care of him." That's not going to work now. I'm excited for that matchup just because of the familiarity there and what they choose to do because it's it's, it's been interesting. I feel like, you know, teams, I think. Early in the season, we're playing man, and Josh Allen really destroyed that. And they went to zone, and I feel like the Chiefs and Tennessee had had some success with it, obviously. But I mean, there were some extenuating circumstances, like the whole COVID Tennessee Titans thing and Allen shoulder injury that you know didn't get a lot of national play. That I think affected him a lot more. He's been really good against the zone the last few weeks when teams have tried to do it specifically in that 49ers game. And I think part of the reason is because he's learned that if he just gets the ball out of his hands, especially like in that like short range, like not even when they get to that second level, Stefan Diggs is, you know, breaking tackles and, you know, you're seeing some of the highlights on sports center, just getting the ball in his hands and letting him make plays. How is that secondary equipped to, you know, deal with that? If they go to a zone, how, how, how much will they, be confident in staying in that zone if the Bills start to have success with that early in the game. Well, it's it's primarily a zone defense, so I they'll they'll stick with it. It's primarily okay. a zone defense, and they'll stick with it. But uh, this this hasn't been a good test defense in the secondary for weeks now. Really, really, so going back to the first Tennessee game was the last time that we really saw them play well in the secondary. Um, that they, they they've had trouble with. Uh, really big plays more even more so than the than the than the there this is a defense that's really good at swarming to the football so a lot mm-hmm. of those short throws you don't teams don't get as much yak because it's just a team that's a really good tackling team uh they swarm to the football well but they've given up a lot of big plays recently and a lot of like throws in that intermediate range in the zone and uh so so that's i think that's the big matchup for me this week and, and why i think it's the bills have such an advantage is the cold secondary just hasn't played very well recently and uh, obviously the bills are <laughs> equipped to take take 
plenty of advantage of it. You know, Jim Irsay today or, or maybe yesterday said that there's a frustration that the Colts haven't played their, their best football this season. Now, you just touched upon the defense, the secondary. What has been their biggest issue on the other side of the ball on offense this year? Um, it's just been uh, sort of they, – they've got this weird third quarter, second half lull thing um, going on where, like, it's it's a pretty balanced offense now that Taylor's running well. I mean, they, they, they threw for more than 4,000. They came within a whisker of rushing for 2,000 yards. Uh, very balanced offense. When it's clicking, it's really good. Um, but they, they've several games in a row now, especially in the second half of the season, they, they go through these odd lulls in the second half and don't score. And that's, that's the biggest problem with the offense is that you don't get the full effect of the offense the entire game. Mm. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's kind of, it, it's funny because the Bills went through that lull for a part of the season. Fans were just, uh, they, they hated the third quarter. They said, oh, here comes the third quarter. The Bills can't score. They give up points. And obviously they fixed that over the last month. It hasn't been an issue, but I, that's just another similarity, I guess, between these two teams, at least at some point this year. Yeah, no, it's, 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 and the, the hard part is that, like, I think anytime, because the early on in the season, there was like a weird first half, second half thing with the defense. Anytime you try to get coaches to explain what might be going on with that kind of stuff. It's always really difficult. Um, it's always really difficult because they're trying to put their finger on it. And it just comes down to, we didn't execute as well or whatever, but um, uh, it, it, it really is. It really has been difficult to figure out why they don't finish off drives in the third quarter. Last week, last week, it really came down to their kicker missed a kick at the end of the first half and the start of the third quarter. And mm-hmm. Uh, so they stayed at 20 where they should have been at 26. And I think that really played a role in it, but it, it's been enough of a problem now going, going forward that you, it's like you said, like with, with you get to the second half and Colts fans are going, Oh boy. How big is the lead? <laughs> that, that's a fun storyline actually, that I haven't really paid too much attention to so far in the week is the two rookie kickers in this game. And like Tyler Bass has been, lights out like maybe even the best kicker in the league second half of the season i mean he had the one game where he hit a couple 50 yarders six field goals he set the franchise scoring record obviously because the offense has scored so many points this year but um he's had a really strong season and um correct me if i'm wrong but um blankenship has struggled with distance kicks yeah he's only attempted three kicks of 50 yards or more part of that is that frank reich is very aggressive on fourth down okay um if it's if it's fourth and short in Bills territory, especially given how good the Bills offense is, I'm expecting him to go for it this week. That's just that's the way he plays it. Um, so he's very aggressive on fourth down, which I think plays a role in it. Um, mm-hmm. But also he shorted two fifty plus yarders. Uh, they, it's weird. It's like they they don't think it's a leg thing. Um, I think college football fans who remember Blankenship from Georgia remember him hitting some 50-plus yarders in, in really big games in the, in the college football playoffs. We've seen it in practice. But he's had a, he's had a bad tendency in games to uh, take some of the field before he hits the ball, and that's mm-hmm. led to the two shorts. And, like, he, he shorted a 56-yarder last week. Um, outside of that, really good. Uh, only missed five field goals all season, uh, three of them before last week. But yeah, when he gets the distance, I think there's there's some concern, and also there's some concern I think probably with him kicking in Buffalo. I mean, this is a guy from this is a Georgia kid mm-hmm. who went to Georgia and played all of his college games in the SEC, and now plays in a dome. He outside of in Pittsburgh a couple of weeks ago, he really hasn't played in the cold that much. And if 
if you're if you're from a northern state, what, where they were in Pittsburgh last a couple of weeks ago, really, it, it was like 40 and sunny. It, it really wasn't cold. Like it was probably cold for him being for Georgia, but it wasn't actually a cold day. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, ex- I'm 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 interested to watch the two of them because the Bills, you know, in a lot of ways moved on from Stephen Hauschka because um, obviously. You know he struggled in his uh, his attempt after they cut him this year, but because he couldn't hit the the long ball. I mean they they literally went for it on fourth and long last. I think it was fourth and twenty seven because they couldn't um, send him out there to kick a fifty plus yard field goal. Well, Bass kind of rectifies that situation. I want to ask you about one more thing before I let you get out of here, and that's DeForest Buckner because from even before I started diving into this team this week, one of the things that really kind of loomed thinking about a potential Colts matchup is. You know, I think that where Josh has struggled in the past has been against a team that has a chaos making, you know, three tech that can like rush the passer and be just a problem in the middle. I just went back and watched the last two games and I kind of left those kind of underwhelmed with with Buckner. I know maybe he's dealing with an ankle. I know he was he missed a game with COVID. What's been the kind of overall, um, you know, impression of him this year? And is could he be a big time playmaker in this game in your eyes? Yeah, I mean he can. He he he's he's gonna he he makes a lot of plays. I, I the ankle I do think has been an issue. Uh, we we don't know for sure how serious it is, but they're they're not practicing in the first two days of the week, the mm-hmm. last couple of weeks. So it's clearly there's there's clearly some some issue there. Um, but but he can be a problem. I mean even even diminished. He had two sacks last week. Uh, he sacked the Sean he sacked the Sean Watson. I feel like five times or something like that. Wow. Um, wow. Okay in the games against the Texans. And I think the other thing that that's different about him and it's, it's been mitigated a little bit because of the ankle injury depends on how, how he is this weekend. I don't know. But uh, one of the things that he does is a three technique that just about nobody else, except maybe Donald does is he's really good laterally. He's really, mm-hmm. really good making plays sideline to sideline, like uh, against the Packers this season, they in overtime, they this free safety punched the ball out of a receiver's hand, uh, like on a screen way out by the sideline. And the guy that recovered it was Buckner. Um, wow. so he he really moves well and is really, especially early in the season before the ankle injury, was was good at honestly, maybe the Colts' best defensive lineman at chasing down quarterbacks once they've escaped the pocket, which I think is going to be a huge problem for them uh, against Allen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but with the ankle, I, I he, we haven't seen him as much, but he is still finding ways to get it done in the pass rush. He's he's gonna win three. He's gonna win at least three or four matchups uh, where you're like, wow, man, he just blew that guy off the ball. Well, yeah, and, and his height I think is a real advantage. You know, getting just his hand on balls I think will be something to watch for. Definitely a matchup. I and mean, listen, I the reason I thought of him is because you think back to that Super Bowl and what he was able to do against Patrick Mahomes, and you know. Patrick Mahomes was playing about as well as anybody could play, and he struggled for three quarters. So he's definitely going to be somebody to watch. Before I let you get out of here, do you have a pick yet? Do you give a pick? Uh, how do you feel like this uh, after diving into it all this week? How do you think I, it plays uh, out? I picked the Bills thirty-five to twenty-seven. My uh, my my coworker here in Indy uh, forced me to make a pick this week for the second time all season. Um, nice. I, I, just, <laughs> I just don't feel great about the way the Colts' defense, especially the secondary and the edge rush, has been. Uh, in the back half of the season, I, I think that the the way the Colts end up winning this game is if it's like the way it's if it's it's, it's the way they beat the Packers. It's a mm-hmm. it's a high scoring game and, and they force more turnovers than you're expecting them to force. They they picked off Rodgers once and, and forced three fumbles. That's how they beat the Packers. That uh, they're going to have to do that, I think, against the Bills, just because the, the defense 
there's a lot of playmakers on this defense, but the secondary specifically in the past defense has really struggled down the stretch. And uh, until I see them do it against somebody else, I'm going to assume they're going to struggle. Very nice. Well, um, I checked out your podcast uh, before I had you on. Really, really nice job. I, I, I liked uh, a lot of the stuff you guys were bringing in. The Cover 2 Colts, is that what you search Colts on? Uh, podcast, yep. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, definitely check that out. Uh, get the perspective from the other side. Uh, and let everybody know where they can find you on, on social media because I feel like Bills fan really like following the, the, the other side of things for the matchup. Yeah, I've noticed. I've actually seen uh, some some followers flipping into my uh, account this week. But uh, Angela nice. Erickson, nice and simple. Um, and, and then uh, that's that's pretty much it. Pretty much look for the Twitter account. That's where most of the stuff goes through. Sounds good. And now we aren't traveling yet. Are you guys traveling? I to, am. For, you are. All right. Well, listen, you can get takeout while you're here. Uh, there's two spots I, I, I will suggest. You can get curbside, Duff's Wings, or Bar Bill, depending on where you're at, distance-wise, if you want some wings. I always tell people those are the spots to check it out. Yeah, it's it's going to be dicey. I'm I'm driving. That's been our Ooh, okay. Is where it, to avoid the uh, to avoid the airports. We've been if we if we can, if we have to fly, we haven't been doing it. And then if, mm -hmm. we, if we're going to go, we drive. So it's going to be a little dicey on when I get in. I I know most of the restaurants are closing at like eight, but I'm I'm going to yes. try. I'm going to try. Right. I've been to uh, I've been to Anchor and. Uh, I've been to a bar that is a dive bar somewhere in Buffalo that I have no idea what it was called, but the wings were amazing. Elmo's. <laughs> it had to be it. It's kind of a dive bar. The wings are one of the best in the area. I'm just, I'm just calling. It. I'm going to say Elmo's. Does it have like, does Elmo's have like a weird, like uh, music history or like, like, Oh, maybe it was like the pink. It was the pink, which I don't know how about their wings or if they even have wings, but it's like, was it like really dark and they had like a lot of Bills memorabilia in there or no? I think so. I think okay. so. It's back when I covered the Saints. It's back when I covered the Saints. The, okay. the wings there were unbelievable. The wings there were just crazy good. Um, that's the cool part about Buffalo. Anywhere you go, you're going to get good <laughs> wings. So that's cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, Joel. I really appreciate it. Um, and, and hopefully everybody can go check out the pod. It was really great stuff. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it a lot. All right, take care. Ready for football? With every game a home game, Tops is ready for you with its TV a day giveaway. For six weeks, every day you shop is a new chance to win a massive 70-inch 4K TV. Shop Tops for the best deals in town, in-store, or online to win. We're not done yet. We're not done yet, Ryan. We're, we're two-thirds we're two of the way through this show. We got, um, you know, our, our pal uh, Jerry Sullivan coming up. The real question, though, it's 901. I do not see him in the green room quite yet. So listen, hopefully he can get in here. Hopefully we can get him on the show. Uh, I got a couple fun things to talk about. And actually one of the things popped into my head, he would be perfect to talk about this with, because I'm pretty sure he was covering the bills uh, back when Frank Reich played in the, in, in the comeback game. Um, but what are your impressions, you know, after getting a chance to, you know, go over things with Sal and um, we obviously jumped into things from the cold side with Joel, you know, Anything that's changed about your impressions of this game? I mean, he he talked pretty highly of DeForest Buckner. And now, obviously, you know, I, I watched him play the last two games, and my impression was, like, you know, seeing him on the injury report with the ankle, I thought maybe he was playing through something there because he just didn't look as dynamic as the player I remembered in San Francisco. But I also do know that he had a big impact this season, so that's why I asked. But he's still going to be somebody to watch and somebody that can be a playmaker and – one of the things that really probably scares you if you're if you're kind of diving into the memory banks as a Bills fan is at times Josh's inability to secure the football like when he takes off to run or if he's moving around in the pocket, 
He's even had some problems with that at times this year. So a guy like that, you know, three forced fumbles against uh, the Green Bay Packers. That's one of their best games of the year. That could be something that just, you know, gets the antenna up a little bit. Yeah, Buckner, uh, we mentioned Leonard earlier. They have some legitimate playmakers on that defensive side of the ball. And, and we've seen the Bills with some some costly turnovers. You mentioned Josh Allen and how he can fumble at times. We've seen Zach Moss coming out of the end zone in a big game fumble. Uh, we it, It's a concern. And they have some players in that back end on the secondary, too, that can strip the ball loose. So the, the Bills have to protect the football when they're on offense and just keep doing what they've been doing. If they can put up those points and make the Colts one-dimensional, I still feel like this will be the Bills' game to win. However, you know, playoffs, like you said, anything can happen any, any given day, and, and if a few turnovers occur, the, the game can turn very quickly, and this could be a nail-biter, very similar to what we saw early in the year with this Bills team. This is what I think is the biggest difference about last year. We talked about this a couple times on the show, but like, Josh's like I mentioned, like, you know, taking care of the ball and all that kind of stuff, but I feel like he's more positioned, you know, positively right now to rebound from mistakes more so than he ever was before. And, you know, you, you can even see it in the past. Like you go back and rewatch that Houston game, which I've done a couple times this year. And you kind of see that even the, the, the throws that aren't picked off, like, but you know, the turnover worthy plays, they kind of messed with him a little bit, I think, just mentally. You know, how he kind of went about. This year, you could tell the difference is that from play to play, he re- he has an ability to reset, which I think is so important in the playoffs because you have to kind of go in knowing, all right, here's a bunch of different things that can happen that can throw things off course, especially early in the game. I mean, the Bills are so used to getting off the good starts and getting leads. Like what happens if that doesn't happen? Indianapolis starts fast. They usually score on their first drive. I think they're scoring more on their first drive than anybody else in the NFL. I think I heard that somewhere um, watching their games back or they're one of the best. So that's something that you have to really, you know, guard against, I guess. But he's really done a good job of, uh, of being more mentally composed in the moments of chaos, I guess is the best way to say it. Yeah, year one and year two, there's no doubt that he used to press. I mean, hell, year one, who wouldn't? You have Kelvin Benjamin, you have Zay Jones, and and you have Andre Holmes as your wide receivers. You're going to press because you don't have any playmakers. Year two, he still made those mistakes. Patriots game comes to mind. Obviously, the Houston game that you mentioned. So you're, you're right. Now he doesn't press as much in those situations. He kind of resets himself. He comes back out for the next drive, and he believes in, in himself and the players around him that they can make up for those errors and they can put up some points on the board. Jerry Sullivan in the house, in the flesh. How are you, my friend? I'm not gonna Looking lie to good? you. I was watching yeah. the uh the senators and I'm not talking Washington Senators. I I forgot about this. I didn't forget, but I was a little behind. It's so <laughs> I knew it. Watching these Republicans, you know, try to back down after that insurrection today. But uh yeah, I want to bore you with political talk. You I know, know. We, we got a ball game in a couple of days, don't we? Three days. We got a we got a big one. We got a big one. We got, we're going to get into it a little bit. Um, but I wanted to like get into a little bit, but first of all, before we get into like some, some of the things that I have for you, but I want to start with like, you know, this week and Frank and I just got a text. Am I on? You're on, you're on baby. You're, you're, we're going. So Frank Reich, you know, he talked, he was asked, you know, the, the Indianapolis media was really poking him this week. Like, anything they can get out of them with that storyline. And, you know, rightfully so it's, it's kind of 28 years from the greatest comeback game ever. I mean, it's one of the, you know, biggest moments in NFL history, obviously Bill's history. Um, 
what are your impressions of that whole deal? Him coming back in, he's done it before, but never in the playoffs as a coach. Um, just what do you, what are your thoughts? Well, I read about it today. Uh, they finally posted on IVB. I mean, that's, it's nice. great stuff for me. I mean, I lived through it. I wrote about it at the 20 year anniversary and built the whole story about, uh, you know, around Frank. My column today, the basic thrust is look, Bills fans revere this guy. Deep down, they have to fear him. Is there is there anybody in the history of the league who has been more dangerous in an underdog situation than Frank Reich? You know, you only have to go back three years to him coaching Nick Foles as the backup to beat a guy who throws for 500 yards. Mm. But it, that doesn't necessarily make him more dangerous than Baltimore would be or the Titans. But if you believe there's just something about Frank Reich, and if you if you live through the comeback, I wrote about how there were people who thought it was almost supernatural. You know, people thought that day that it was some kind of divine intervention. I, it sounds nutty, but people that lived through it, I mean, Frank Reich was in the middle of it, and he also his first ever NFL start on Monday night, 1989, two touchdowns in the last three minutes. There's just something about Frank Reich. Now he's just the coach. But he inspires belief, and it, it's a great storyline. That's that's basically what we're talking about here. But to to think that Frank Wright could disrupt this wonderful season and put it to a stunning end with this indie team is got to be a little alarming for Bills fans. It's like Frank, it's cute. Come on in, and then we'll see you next. This, in fact, I was driving into the city today, and there's a billboard on 33. It says. Frank, come back uh, in the next round and enjoy it. In other words, it's great stuff, guys. I talked to Marv Levy the other day, Steve Task, or Ruben Brown. It's kind of old home week for a guy like me to relive the past. But uh, this is really about what's happening right now with this team. Yeah, and, and you said it. It's been a wonderful season. It's been a great year, 13-3. and three. How bought in are you on this team and in this roster in terms of making a deep playoff run? I'm pretty bought in. I would say they're favored to, to go, but it, it's a funny year. And uh, their their play against the run is the only concern. I think their defense has been probably under underestimated and underrated the last 10 weeks. I think the pass defense has been as good as any in the league. And I think they've, they're better against the run. They're healthier. What I think is going to happen Saturday is that Rivers will be exposed. We saw what they did to Derrick Henry in a 2,000-yard year. He had his worst game. He also had one of his worst games last year. I think they stuffed the line. I think they make it about Rivers, and I don't think he has the mobility of Tannehill or uh, Mahomes to get off on this Bills on this Bills defense. I think they win by you know the spread, um, but it's the play, it's the playoffs, you know, and right. weird things can happen. I mean, Josh Allen. I don't expect him to to have a bad game. I think mm-hmm. that he's just right now on too much of a roll to fall into any. Will he turn the ball over maybe once? You know, he, that's that's likely or possible. But he's just so good right now. So interesting. Um, the 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 battle between the Bills' offense and the Colts' defense are two of the coordinators that are getting some of the most buzz in the league right now for potential head coaching jobs. Where do you kind of land on, on Dable's? We were talking about this with Sal er, earlier, and we've talked a bunch about it over the last couple of weeks, but where do you kind of sit on it? Because 
I brought it up with Sal. Like I, I, I see a world where, whether it be like the, you know, he just doesn't get the offer for the job that maybe he wants. Or, you know, I also mentioned like just the circumstances of becoming a new head coach in the COVID era, like right when we're in the thick of this thing still with no end in sight, like, or do you think he's completely gone 100% and there's no, there's no reality where he sticks around for one more year? Wow, that's it's a tough question. I know what Bills fans have to hope that this is like the uh, Colt situation. Jo- Josh McDaniels has the offer, mm-hmm. backs out, Frank Reich ends up going, um, Look, you get sometimes one shot at this. Uh, Day Bowl's star will never be higher unless, you know, maybe next year they're even better and win the Super Bowl. So uh, that makes him – I mean, I think he's got to think really hard about about going if he gets the chance. But you're, look, you're looking at Josh Allen, you're looking at the situation, the guy who grew up around here, uh, it would be tough for him to leave this. So I'm kind of I'm torn on that. If, there are good jobs out there. I mean, going to going to coach Herbert would not be a bad one. Going to a team that's going to get a high draft pick and maybe Lawrence is a good one. And it would be a great challenge to him. It comes down to you if your dream is to be a head coach, sometimes you just have to go for it. Um, Josh McDaniels had been a head coach before and failed and felt he had another shot with uh, to win it with um, with the Patriots. Um, I also think, again, the Patriots parallel. They lose a Charlie Weiss. It doesn't. It doesn't stop anything. As 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 good as Dayball is, and he's been brilliant this year. This this is about Josh Allen going forward, mm-hmm. and another coordinator could come in and do pretty well. I think with Josh Allen and the weapons that he has. So I I, I think there's a tendency to maybe overestimate how devastating it would be to lose him. You know, you just kind of mentioned what I was going to go with here with my follow-up. Not just for Brian Dable, though. We The Bills could lose Brian Dable. They could lose some people in their front office. Are the Bills at this point now, based on the success that they've had over the last three, four years, that now you're going to be getting some high-level executives and high-level coaches that want these jobs that open, whether it's offensive coordinator, whether it's front office jobs, whereas we've lived through this drought where you, they're replacing guys, firing guys, and it was bottom of the barrel – now is this a destination where coaches and executives will want to go? I think it is. I I also think people are getting wise to the fact Buffalo is not a bad place to live. You listen to the guys like Allen, and of course, a big pro publica story today about how Americans are going to gradually gravitate to the northern places. I, this is kind of funny, but when I came to Buffalo in '89, I told people, you know, there's this thing called climate change coming, and Believe me, Buffalo is going to become a destination. People laughed at me. I'm, I'm telling you, more and more, Buffalo is going to be a place people go, you know, I, I kind of like it. It's not 115 degrees at all during the year. And uh, I'm kind of rambling here. But the, the point is, I, I do think it'll be a destination. People want to be part of something like this. They want to catch it when it's really getting hot. And the idea of the four or five-year cycle is true to some extent in the NFL. It's also not true when you have a Brady or a Manning or a Rogers, those teams are good for 10, 12 years while cycling in and out coaches and GMs and an offensive lineman, because they had the quarterback, Josh Allen is going to be a guy. If he doesn't get hurt, that's going to be in contention every year or close to it. it, it you tell me, a, and, and I can't believe I've gone to this point with Josh Allen comparing <laughs> guys, but he is like, 
a top three MVP candidate. And if he keeps this up, quarterbacks like him just don't suddenly go four and 12. Tell me the guy. All right. He, mm-hmm. could, he could be Stafford or, you know, Matt Ryan's had bad years. I mean, you, it's not like it's automatic that a really good quarterback wins 11 games every year, but they're going to be competitive for a long time. Yeah, no, no doubt about that, that they're set up well for success. Um, and then with, with this game itself, how do the Bills win this game on Saturday? What is their path to victory? Well, as I said, that their path is defensively is to make it about Rivers. In their five losses, he threw 40 times. In their 11 wins, he threw 30. That's, you know, that's, I'm sure McDermott and Frazier are sitting there saying, that's what we have to do. We can't let Taylor get off, make it about Rivers. He's not mobile, and we'll beat him. He will throw picks. Our our secondary is, is playing great. That There's no way this Phil, Phil Rivers throwing 38, 40 times beats us. And offensively, just, you know, get Josh making throws and attack. And what they, what they can't do is go out of character, as Lindy Ruff used to say. Don't suddenly go 50-50 run because it's, you know – January and you're in Buffalo attack the way you have all year attack this defense. Their secondary is not that good and and be what you are offensively. Sure. Mix in some runs and, and don't turn the ball over. I don't know if Matt, you guys, you, you know what, where we are with Beasley. I don't, I wasn't around today. Um, he, it's not looking good. He didn't practice again today. Sean's considers him week to week and uh, we'll see. Although I will say Stefan Diggs. When he was asked about Cole, because like I, I sometimes when you feel like you present it to Stefan Diggs, he kind of like he says things in a, in a funny way. But he was kind of like, well, we'll kind of see what happens. Like, I'm hopeful that we I'll have all my guys out there with me on, on, on Saturday. So he kind of left the door open, but it doesn't look good. I think this is a week where they miss Beasley more than they did last week. As much mm-hmm. as they're getting production out of, out of the other guys, Davis, McKenzie, that's a guy. He is perhaps the best third down receiver in football this year. Um, and that that could be a problem. Against the defense, which, you know, you can talk all you want about Miami was leading the league in points allowed. I think Indy's defense is as good as Miami's. I think they've got some talent. Uh, the Leonard, of course. Um, well, more to your point, Kenny Moore is one of the best slot corners in the NFL. So that would have been, we were talking about it earlier, a premier matchup if Beasley could go. But you know, even if he's not going to be 100, percent you probably go with with Isaiah McKenzie just because you know you saw at least what he could do last week. I think somebody made a point on their podcast. I think it was one of the national guys that you know what was impressive most about McKenzie's game was that he did a lot of the stuff that Cole Beasley does, but he had even more quickness and more suddenness to hit to his routes, which that's Cole Beasley's kind of calling card. But Isaiah McKenzie is very shifty. He's he's younger. He's got more spring. So I think that it, it, I, to your point, I think they will miss him. But I think it's it's lessened by the fact that John Brown's back and looks he looks one hundred percent healthy, which they haven't had that since September. Yeah, Brown being back is huge, and I probably underestimated these guys a lot this year. The real one of, one of the real beauties of this team is how deep they are and how their camaraderie is based a lot on the fact that everyone contributes. Josh doesn't act like a superstar and everyone wants to, to contribute. And they've had 60 touchdowns from 18 people. But I don't think that has to change here. If someone just, someone steps up and they'll, I think they'll score 27 points at least. 
It might be based on the fact they've averaged 38 for the last 10 games. Think of that. It's 300 points over eight games. That's a 600-point season for the year, which would uh, would that be the NFL record? This offense has been stunning for the last eight weeks, and it's not based on any one person. Well, Allen. The offensive line's been very good lately. Very good. Yeah, very good, especially pass protection. Uh, Sean McDermott, Brendan Bean, both have signed extensions this year, but was there ever a time where you were skeptical of that that pairing, and if so, when were you the most skeptical about them? Uh, was it earlier in their tenure, or was there maybe never a time where you were skeptical about that duo? No, I was skeptical probably year two. I think the whole Peterman infatuation made me wonder about Sean McDermott as a guy who could be trusted with quarterbacks and offense, and I did think he had to just get out of the way and uh, let Dable do it and concentrate on defense, and I think he's improved a lot. Um I talked to Tasker today. He's talked about how Sean's got become a lot better with game management and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, he it's a it's a sport, and in sports in general, you want it so fast. It was kind of a parallel thing with with Josh Allen, McDermott. They were both new to what they were doing and learning on the job. Uh, but yeah, I had I had questions because you you learn over time that most coaches, assistant coaches, don't make great head coaches. It's it's generally that they're being elevated a little beyond their ability because there are a few great ones, but he's proven to be a very good one. Bean, there was a time, certainly early on, some of his moves didn't seem very good there. Uh, the, the, the way he uh, struggled to put, put a good uh, core wide receivers on the field. Um, but again, the patience there, knowing what he was doing, uh, running a lot of guys out of here, and believing that he was going to find the quarterback. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm naturally skeptical. Um, I was skeptical this year by the way they played run defense early with the defensive lineman he brought in. He brought in a bunch of them, and it was like, oh, all those other guys have been replaced, and it didn't look very good early. <clears throat> and there's still questions. I don't think they've seen a team's best shot in, in the run game in a while, partly because they <clears> – <throat> They score so much they take teams out of the run game. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm still not sure a team that sustains it and sticks with it can't run for 180 and give them trouble. <clears throat> Excuse me. Listen, I, I mean, I'm used to this. You know, there's many a morning in the studio back in the day where you'd be like having these little coughing fits because you're just, you're just bringing the, the fire takes and all this. Speaking <clears throat> of fire takes, sidetrack, but you mentioned Stafford a couple a couple minutes ago. You know, he's only won 11 games one time in his career. And listen, I know wins are not a quarterback stat. And I, and I, I don't want to get into that whole discussion because I don't need Bruce, Bruce Nolan in my DMs. But um, I do think that – and I, I can't remember who I had this discussion with. I, I think it was on maybe a podcast or something. Like if you, can t- if you draft a quarterback and you say, okay, you're going to have Matt Stafford over the course of his career – would you take that? Would you sign up for that? And, you know, I don't think Matt Stafford's been like, I don't think he's had a success story in the NFL. And I think, you know, part of that is like the organization he went to and the fact that they, they really have struggled to put pieces around him. But at the same time, he did have Calvin Johnson for, for a stretch there. He's had some decent teams over the course of his career there. He hasn't ever won a playoff game. I believe he's on three. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think Matt Stafford, some, a lot of people sometimes go to the Stafford rivers, 
um, you know, example when trying to show a successful quarterback. To me, I don't know if if you. I mean, Rivers has had a great career. He's put up great numbers, but I don't know. Would you, would you call either of them great quarterbacks? I, I I don't know. I don't know if I would. I think Rivers is very good. I think he's a notch above Stafford. I mean, I've watched him a lot over the years. I've never just looked and said, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> that guy's elite. I do think quarterback winning percentage matters. But there are some exceptions. There are guys in tough situations. But again, you get back to Brady, Rodgers, and Manning, and people like that that always win. That Their, their winning percentage certainly matters. Montana. I think Stafford is a numbers quarterback, somewhat a victim of circumstance, and there's always organizational issues that can hold you back. Rivers has been borderline great at times statistically he's won five playoff games he's five and six he hasn't done it when when he really had to and I think at this point in his career he's he's a guy you might win despite I mean his numbers are decent when you look at the numbers he has this year if you had said before the year those were Josh Allen's numbers you had said fine I'll take it uh he hasn't thrown as many picks as last year um I'm kind of rambling here but uh <coughs> Stafford's the one no he, he you can't not win playoff games and be considered a great quarterback. Um, we've been going a long time. We're probably going to get out of here. What do you got going on? Uh, definitely go over and uh, check out your story. Uh, you said you talked to the some yeah, of the uh, – they, they suddenly decide they want me to write a bunch of stories. You know, I'm not – Good. Journalist work. For the IVB, but uh, Monday's was about, you know, the running numbers and how the top three running teams in the NFL, Titans, who else? Baltimore. Cleveland, mm. the top three are in the AFC playoffs. You could argue the hottest is Indy. So it's all these running teams, and here's Buffalo. So Buffalo suddenly, you know, this team that didn't throw the ball for 20 years represents the modern NFL way of winning, and, it, and a bunch of these people in a year where, by the way, more rushing yards this year in the NFL than any year since 88. There's some old-school football going on within your conference. Mm. that makes it fascinating. Yesterday I wrote about uh, the, the, the 2018 draft. Nelson goes six. They don't think they need a quarterback because of luck. And then he goes away. And then Josh seven, Josh Allen's seventh. Very interesting the way the 18 draft affected both these franchises. Yeah, I'm very interested to see what the quarterback situation looks like in Indy next year. If 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 they don't want to bring uh, Philip, I was listening to the Joel's who was on our show covers the uh, Colts. They were talking about it on their podcast, like. Or maybe it was a different podcast. I've listened to so much stuff this week already, but whatever I was listening to, they were talking about, you know, this is kind of like an audition for Rivers in a lot of ways. Like, do they want to invest in him for another year? And obviously the Frank Wright Carson Wentz connection is there. So who plays quarterback there next year is going to be very interesting. And obviously, you know, we saw the whole Denver Josh Allen storyline. We talked about it earlier in the show. Darius uh, Leonard, he talked about the fact that every time he plays the Bills, because Tremaine Edmonds was drafted ahead of him, he always thinks about that. He always wants to beat the Bills to show them, you know, you should have taken me. And so, you know, this is a big, big time game where, you know, if you want to talk about where Tremaine Edmonds has struggled, you know, it, it has been in that, you know, finding the right lanes and, and and being an impactful player against the run. He's going to have his hands full in this game, and he's going to have to be to make a lot of plays, especially maybe even more so in the passing game. Yeah, I think we, we need to find out that he and Milano – are as good as advertised in a game at this level. And that includes look out for, for Hines. They throwed him a lot out of the backfield and tight ends are always an issue with this team. Uh, after a great stretch and a half season, this defense needs to 
sustain it here and, and not have a slip up here against a, a Frank Reich team that he's, you know, he's always a little, he's scary. He's a smart guy and his teams have a way of rising up. There's an almost angelic presence with Frank, you know, look out Buffalo. Frank. All right. Well, there's a little, like a little Jerry jab at the end. Somebody <laughs> wrote in the comments, like I've never seen Jerry this positive. And I always I come back into form, you know, I'm not too nice lately, you know? Yeah. You've been plenty positive over the years. People just choose to kind of do what they do. I hope you had a great holiday. Thank you for you taking too. some time tonight. Uh, we've been going a long time. We'll do it again soon. By the way, Bradley Beal's up to about 60 points with 10 minutes left tonight. So nice. Ooh, I got to show you. I, I did a fantasy basketball league this year for the first time in a while. So I'll, I'll send you my squad. I put up a nice – I had a nice week last week. Listen, everybody was jumping off the Russell Westbrook bandwagon, but I was like, you know, second round. I jumped right on that. He's Look, been absolutely you know, crushing it for me. I would never so. have any team of mine. I've got six teams too. Six teams? Sick man. Oh gosh, you're an addict, bro. You're an addict. I love it. All right. We'll talk soon. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. All right. So that was Jerry Sullivan, uh, my friend, the man. Uh, I know a lot of Bill's Mafia get in their feelings about Jerry, but I love him. All right, Ryan, hit us with the final thought. We'll get into you know our predictions too because we're not doing a preview show. This is an all-in-one show. I, 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 I'm going to have to work through it. This will be the first time I didn't have my preview coming in the show. I'm going to uh, uh, work my way through it as we talk here. What do you got? All right. Well, final thought. I think Jerry said it best. Stay the course on offense. Don't, you know, don't worry about the weather. Don't worry about the elements uh, play in January in Buffalo. You know, that was always the big talk about that's why we've built the teams that we have with the running backs that they used to do. No, you are a passing team. You've been pass happy all season with great success. Come out there, let Josh Allen do his thing. Even if Cole Beasley is not out there, Isaiah McKenzie had a really nice game last week. You can still get him involved. And obviously, we saw what John Brown did last week, and the, the fact that he looks healthy is so big for this team in this playoff game because you know Stefan Diggs is going to get plenty of attention. So if you have someone on the opposite side that can take advantage of those uh, matchups, it's going to be big. Even Dawson Knox, you could see the Bills are really trying to get him involved last week in that season finale. Some pass a little bit too high, a little bit too far, but he can even be that X factor. I know we've probably said that a million times. He could have... A, great success in this game because the bills are going to be throwing it a lot. Uh, I, I think you're going to see a similar bills offense in terms of putting up points, but it's going to be interesting to see how they fare defensively. So did you, did you get a score in there? I didn't hear a score. Yeah. Uh, I will say bills 27 Colts 21. Ooh. All right. All right. So yeah, right around that, uh, that, that line that's out there at six and a half, seven points. You know, I'm going Bills win here. Uh, I think that after, you know, sinking my teeth into, you know, maybe not even as much as I would have liked to into this Colts team, getting a look at, you know, what they've looked like in December and where things went wrong against Pittsburgh. I think that there's, they played really good in the first half against Pittsburgh. And even as bad as Pittsburgh has been in the passing game, they figured it out and Ben Roethlisberger figured it out. I think Josh Allen has all the answers at his disposal that no matter what they do in this game or try to do, I think there's too many playmakers. I think this offense is playing too good. I, I question whether or not, you know, with all this on the line and, and them healthy on their offensive line, that the Colts are able to get the kind of pass rush necessary to really make things tough on Josh Allen. So I'm going Bills win. <sighs> 34 to 20, 34, 20 bills win. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to be able to score uh, the Indianapolis Colts. 
Uh, and I think that the Bills will get it done. Thank you so much for watching. We're almost at two hours. We're going to cut it off right now because um, you know, I get this posted on all the audio platforms. This was a fun time. Um, find us there, if you will. We're always so appreciative of you guys watching us on the live. Um, I know that we kind of had a lot going on tonight. We didn't get a lot of questions in and stuff. We tried to do what we could. Um, but we will be back Saturday night, probably around 8 o'clock or so. We will uh, react to everything that happened. And hopefully for all of your sakes, we'll be talking about a potential um, divisional round playoff game after uh, a Bills win. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. You've deserved it. Go find us on all of the audio platforms, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Apple. Subscribe there. Leave a rating and review if you would. It really helps us out. And until then, have a great week. Enjoy your weekend of playoff football. Ryan, it's been fun. Take care. Ready for football? With every game a home game, Tops is ready for you with its TV a day giveaway. For six weeks, every day you shop is a new chance to win a massive 70-inch 4K TV. Shop Tops for the best deals in town, in-store, or online to win.